Good morning, everybody. I'm Michael. And for those of you who don't know, I am the worship minister here at Bachelor Creek. That's for the people in this room and for you at home. So um, our lead pastor, Joel, and nine others are currently on their way to Guatemala on a mission trip. So before we get started, I'd kind of like to lift them up in prayer. Do that together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for opportunities just to go and serve and bless and be blessed and all those things that you do. Father, I ask that you be with, with the whole team as they go down there and they, they minister to the school, they minister to the pastors, they minister to the midwives. And Father, I just pray that they come back full of joy and stories to share. Be with us this morning as we worship you in, in word and song and all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today we are continuing our study in the book of Colossians, and we're going to be starting in chapter 3, verse 18. So if you've got your Bibles, get that ready, and, and we'll move on in just a moment, okay? You know, we all submit to somebody. We submit to our parents, we submit to our teachers, our boss, our governing authorities, the police, even the elders of this church. Submission sounds like a bad thing, but God, in his infinite wisdom, has made submission something very honorable. Learning to submit is an ongoing teaching throughout Scripture, and the ultimate submission is our submission to Jesus Christ, who is the head of the body the church. So we're going to dive into our passage now, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthy, earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong, wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You may be seated. So in these passages, we see six separate instructions for three separate relationships, husbands and wives, Parents and children, masters and slaves. In each of these relationships, Paul gives instructions to both the one under the authority and the one who holds the authority. We need to make sure that when we quote one, we include the other because the relationship depends on both upholding their end of the bargain. Submission is an important aspect of our relationship with God. Therefore, it is an important aspect of Scripture. We see it in the second chapter of Genesis where God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
And he also gives them instructions on what they can and cannot eat. And we see the very first example of what happens when authority is being disobeyed. That disobedience fractured the universe. We see it again in 1 Samuel 8 when Israel asks for a king to lead them. Now, God tells Samuel that they're not rejecting Samuel, but they are rejecting God as their king. So, God gives them what they ask for. But he said to warn them at what being under the authority of a king entails. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 10. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flock and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. And yet the Israelites said, yeah, we still want a king. You see, they they wanted a king to fight for them when countries with kings of their own would come in and, and want to claim their land, their wives, their children, their slaves, their animals. And so they wanted somebody that they could see. So God gave them a king. All right, let's look at our passage again this morning. We're starting in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. This is a fun one. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, this verse can be quite unpopular, especially in this day and age. But this is not a one-time instruction. We see it repeated several times in Scripture. Ladies, here is what this means. It means that you are giving your husband permission to lead your family, to do what is best, for your family, to provide for your family, to protect your family. This takes a degree of trust, both in your husband and in God, for setting things up this way in the first place. The only way this works is that you permit it. I know many wives who not only permit it, but encourage it. Gentlemen, please understand that it, this is not a license for control, but a great responsibility. God has placed on you the responsibility of leading your family in the way of the Lord. There is such an opportunity for abuse here to those who don't really understand. Because the next verse says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now there's a mirrored passage that says it just a little bit differently in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as the Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then in verse 25, it talks to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing her with water through the word. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Everything Jesus did, he did for her, the church. He knew that the steps he was taking was going to cause him pain. He knew that every step forward was leading him closer to the cross, and yet he kept moving forward because he loved her, the church. And it was good for her. A wife's submission to her husband should not be a burden, but one of her greatest joys. If it's not, gentlemen, you're not doing it right. Let's continue on with the next relationship. Parents and children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, I used to repeat this line to my daughter, Aria, uh, and my daughter is a lot like me. She loves the debate, and she loves to argue. So when we would argue, I would give her that line, and she in turn would say, fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. She was good. Again, this is mirrored in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth and that you will not get locked in the basement for three months. Sorry, Brandon. I didn't really, never mind. Okay, then it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God gets us ready to learn submission right off the bat through our parents we learn to obey our parents. We learn to respect our parents. We learn to trust our parents. Uh, last time I was in Tennessee, Aria and I were discussing how natural it felt when you're young to trust your dad. You know, you get in the car with your dad and you just know that he's gonna get you where you're going, no matter what. You never think differently. Even when he puts you in the back of a pickup truck to get you there. That was one of my favorite ways to travel. We don't do that anymore, sorry. But I loved it. I never thought to myself, wow, this is so dangerous. Because it was my dad. I trusted him. He wouldn't put me back there if it was dangerous. All right, the next relationship I want to look at is between masters and slaves. Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be, be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. All right, slavery is an ugly word, right? We'll agree on that right away. Uh, 
but slavery was a fact of life. Some slaves were bought and sold. If you had a child while you were a slave, that child became the master's property. Other slaves were working off a debt, and they actually volunteered or um, were made by the judge to serve as slaves until that debt was paid off. So none of us in this room are slaves. So how do we connect to this verse? Well, simply, most of us work for someone else, an individual, a small company, a large corporation. We work for our pay. In doing so, we have a choice. We can either give it our all, mentally, physically, emotionally, or we can do as little as possible, just getting by and making it look good when the boss is around. I've done both. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal for them, from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will, and now listen to this, make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. We are representatives of the gospel, good or bad. Your boss, who may not know the gospel in the first place, is getting their very first taste by watching you. Are you making the teaching about our God and Savior attractive by the way you work? The fact is, many people stop looking for work as soon as they find a job. Mull that over. It'll come to you in a little bit. My job is as a worship minister. But you don't have to be a worship minister to turn work into worship, no matter what you do for work, no matter where you do it or whom you do it with or for, ultimately, you work for God. When you do it well, it's good. Imagine how exciting it will be to wake up tomorrow morning knowing that you get to join God in his work. Imagine how motivating it will be in the middle of the day when you realize that what you're doing matters to God. Imagine how good it will feel when you punch out at the end of the day and you can say, I did it for you, God, to the best of my ability. Not long ago, Cheryl and I, uh, Sunday afternoon, went to one of our favorite fast food restaurants in, in Fort Wayne. Uh, we've always been pleased with the food, the service, the cleanliness, everything that goes along with that. You get the idea. Upon entering the restaurant, the first thing I noticed was that there was nobody up front to take our order. They were all in the back, and I could tell just from a distance that they were kind of complaining about something. Well, I waved my hands in the air to get their attention, and, and that was after we had already waited a couple minutes, and finally somebody came up front to take my order. Then we proceeded to the register, where the guy at the register couldn't find out what order I was paying for. Now realize this, we were the only people in the restaurant. And then the others from the back came forward, not to work, but to continue the gripe session where the other two had been interrupted by my food order. So 
while Cheryl and I were looking for a table, one table that was mostly clean in an empty restaurant, um, they continued their gripe session. And, and from what I could tell, McDonald's was paying more by the hour than this particular restaurant was, and they deserved more. The tables were dirty. The floor was dirty. They weren't paying attention to the customers, and they were talking about what they deserved when, obviously, they deserved very little. They were not working for God. They were not working for the Lord. In Matthew 5.41, it says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, let me set this up for you, how this worked. The land belonged to the Jews, all right? At least according to their history and God's provision and promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the Romans occupied the land, not recognizing any former Jewish claim to anything. The law, not the law that the Jews lived by, but the Roman law allowed for any Roman soldier to ask you to carry their armor for one mile. Okay, um, they, the, the Jews, even had it marked off so that they didn't have to carry it any more than just that one mile. So wherever you were, wherever you were going, whatever you thought was important could be immediately interrupted by a Roman soldier asking you to carry the weight. One mile. The Jews hated this law. They hated the Romans for their occupation. They hated the fact that the Romans didn't understand what Jewish law was. All the while waiting for the Messiah who would swoop in and rescue them from said occupation, kick the Romans out, and lead them into glorious victory over all of their enemies. But Jesus comes in and says, if somebody asks you to carry it one mile, carry it two by going that extra mile, you are making the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now imagine for a minute that you're a Roman soldier and you walk up knowing that this, this Jew is going to be belligerent when you say, stop, I need you to carry the weight. And you wait and instead this guy starts eagerly picking up this stuff and looking at you and smiling. And then he starts walking towards the way that you're going. And he says, hi, my name's Joseph. What's your name? And instead he makes this a joy. And you get to the mile marker. And instead of him dropping your armor, he says, come on, let's go another mile. By going the extra mile, you are making the teaching about our God, our Savior, attractive. You're doing it for the Lord. Okay, one more passage. Colossians 4, 1 says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now let me give you an example from Scripture of how this actually works. In Matthew 8, 5 through 13, we hear about the faith of the centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? 
The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Now first, the centurion shows an understanding of authority and submission. He himself submits to a higher authority, but he has authority over others. They submit to him. He tells them to go or to stay, and he expects them to obey. Second, the centurion recognizes that Jesus has authority. Authority over sickness and disease. Because the centurion has already witnessed it. All Jesus has to do is speak with authority and sickness, disease, injury, answer to him. But there's a third thing about this passage that I want you to see. Along with authority comes responsibility. Along with responsibility comes a certain level of protection. Husbands to wives, parents to children, masters to slave, or in our case, employer to employee. The centurion had a servant who was very sick. Now let me say that again. He had a servant who was very sick. Not his child or his wife or even his mother-in-law. A servant. Now, he could have easily thought to himself, oh, well, easy come, easy go. But he didn't. He went to a Jew who he probably thought hating because he, the centurion, is a Roman. He humbled himself to ask this Jew for a favor. Jesus, the Jew, offered to go to the Roman's home, which is a big deal, by the way. But the centurion says, no, I don't deserve that honor. The Roman official had authority over Jesus, but he humbly submitted to Jesus. Now, this is not a thus saith the Lord observation. I can't prove this in any way, but I wonder if this could be the very same centurion who was at the cross with Jesus, who watched him die and witnessed the earthquake that followed and said in Matthew 27, 54, Surely he was the son of God. Most of us are or have been in a similar situation as a centurion. That is, we have been under somebody else's authority and yet we have also had authority over others. So we have at least a, a limited understanding of both roles. And the role of a master or a boss or just the one who holds authority, has a huge responsibility. If you have ever been a babysitter, you know what this feels like. Because you are under somebody else's authority, you have authority over those in the house, and it is a huge responsibility. 
In most cases, the one who holds authority over you answers to someone else as well. He or she must give an account for their work, but they also have to give an account for your work as well. There's another saying that says, the only thing worse than seeing something done wrong is seeing something done slowly. Again, this passage is mirrored in Ephesians 6, 9. It says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Just as the worker is asked to do his or her best, the master, the boss, the employer have to do the same. They are also charged with how they treat those they are in authority over. This is important for every business there is, including the church. I have seen churches fail because they did not follow the ideals set forth here. I work here at Bachelor Creek. I answer to the lead pastor and to the elders of this church. They have a mutual submission to each other. Pastors who do not submit to someone else are heading down a dangerous path. If you're interested, there is a good example in a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, it is a true story about what happens when we don't hold to the beauty and truth of submission in the church. God set it up this way for our good. If you want to be a member here at Bachelor Creek, you are also submitting to the authority of the elders of this church. They are in the position they are for your good. Now, we're going to take this all a step further. It goes beyond our scripture reference for the day, but I think you'll see how this fits. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. <clears throat> Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now we are talking about civil authorities here, those we elect, those who are hired and sent out by those that we elect. We are called by God to submit to their authority. All right, let's continue on. Verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason." They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. 
Now, let me offer one caveat to what I just read. Because there can always be a higher authority. Not always. Higher than the policeman, for example, is a judge. And higher than that court could possibly be a higher court. One of our core values here at Bachelor Creek reads, the Bible is our final authority. That is, if and when the governing authorities command something in opposition to God's command, I will submit to the highest authority, God. James 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Submitting to my Savior is not a burden because I know that he loves me. I know that he provides for me. I know that he protects me. I know that he would die for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you so much for placing us under submission. In so many ways. Thank you, Father, for, for the protection and the provision that comes along with that. Father, thank you for just letting us come and, and read your word and shout your word and, and know that everything that is there is true. Father, thank you for the people here who can take this out and share it with others and love on others in the same way. Father, we ask that you be with us. Give us strength. Those of us who hold the authority, Father, help us to do that with love and compassion. Those of us who are under authority, help us to do that with joy and gratitude. Father, thank you that you are our highest authority. And we bow down and we call you God. We bow down and we lift up your name. We bow down and we worship you in song. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.